Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, and even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the context in which we are living today. Through Christian scripture and our various traditions, what support can we gather, especially as white folks, in finding our mutual interest in movements that liberate all of us? My name is Reverend Liz Carney. My pronouns are she and her. I'm an ordained Presbyterian Church USA pastor living in the occupied ancestral homelands of the Cowlitz Indian tribe in so-called Longview, Washington. I'm a member of the Surge Faith Organizing Team, and I'm so glad to be back with you for this 11th Sunday after Pentecost as we continue hashtag wrestling with Romans. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white Christians. White Christians engaging other white Christians in conversations about challenging every system that threatens life. We believe white Christians have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, settler colonialism, the cis-heteropatriarchy, anti-Semitism, ableism, and every system that, of oppression that stands in the way of our collective thriving. We are called to show up and disrupt these powers and principalities wherever we find them especially through the Christian tradition. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's Song for the Freedom, the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. These Romans texts got me time traveling, y'all. When I hear the words, those words that you'll hear later in the text, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm a high school student all over again, right back at a fundamentalist even uh, evangelism camp I attended one summer where one of the main teachers literally told us, and I am not exaggerating, that we should be looking at people walking around in places like the mall as if they have a sign on their forehead that says bound for hell to motivate us to tell them about Jesus in order to save them from eternal damnation. It's the kind of teaching I'm still peeling back the layers of, trying to understand how it formed me in those years when my brain was still developing. It was toxic water I drank just about every day from a polluted stream of Christianity that is based 
in fear-mongering who is in and who is out binary theologies that the far right is counting on to organize our beloveds in support of systems that have no interest in caring for them, for us. Systems that steal our labor, shame our bodies, vilify those who are black and brown, poor and disabled, trans and queer, or all of the above. Theologies that so many parts of Romans have been co-opted to support. Theologies that form in us the imperial flesh that Brigida helped us understand a few weeks back that Paul was trying to help us unlearn. And if we could just get underneath all those layers of harmful interpretation, we'd hear a song, the liberating melody Paul was singing to his people. As I wrestled, and I do mean wrestled with this text, uh, I find it is about proclamation, about speaking to those around us about good news, about what is in our heart that flows out of our mouths. But it is an entirely different proclamation than I was introduced to at Fundamentalist Evangelical evangelism camp almost 20 years ago. So let's see what Paul can help us unlearn and then learn anew about the kind of proclamation that gets all of us free. This is Romans 10 verses 5 through 15. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news.
In this passage, I do feel like Paul is still singing that love song to his people that Reverend Anne helped us listen for in last week's podcast. And as the song continues, Paul takes another opportunity to remind us of the us we truly are. The us Rome keeps trying to break apart, but that Paul is determined to weave back together. The us that Dr. Sharon Fenema told us about a couple episodes back. That is Paul's vision for his Roman comrades of what it means to truly be in solidarity, to truly hold as central the experiences of their marginalized and oppressed comrades, to truly divest from their privilege and invest in collective liberation. In verse 5, we get a reminder of the Torah God gave the Jewish people through Moses, teaching them how to live with each other in ways that resist empire every single day. Here, Paul is quoting Leviticus 18.5, where God is basically saying to Moses, don't live like the Egyptian empire you just left, who enslaved you, and don't replicate ways of empire as you go into the land of Canaan, which is another podcast for another day. But keep my statutes and my ordinances. By doing so, one shall live. I am the Lord. I can imagine Paul, as he paces back and forth while his scribe is writing furiously to keep up, pointing to his Jewish siblings who he's picturing in his mind and saying these words about the Torah that has brought them life. And then I feel like he turns to pace in another direction in verse 6, talking to his Gentile siblings, when he uses the phrase, the righteousness that comes from faith, as a shorthand for how these folks have been welcomed into the family as they too practice ways of anti-empire faithfulness. Tzedakah from Reverend Anne in episode one of this series. So we see again that Paul is being like, hey, you, yeah, you, Jewish sibling, Gentile sibling. I'm talking to all y'all because God has created paths that bring all of us together. We belong to each other. We are an us. Then in the rest of verse 6 through verse 8, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14, which was a reminder to God's people that this life-giving way of turning from the greed and violence and hoarding of empire and towards ways of community care and abundance, you know, the ways set forth in the Torah, is not something they need to look high and low for or go chasing after like it's really hard to find. No, the word is near you, on your lips, and in your heart. I already hear this as the polar opposite of what I learned at evangelism camp. Walking around the mall and picturing bound for hell signs on people's foreheads assumes that I have the right answer and they don't that the truth is far from them, and so I'd better get my act together and bring it to them. 
It's all the same logic white settlers used as justification to steal indigenous people's land so that they could, quote-unquote, save the souls of those savages and enslave African peoples on that stolen land under the guise of a twisted duty to make them Christian in order to, quote-unquote, save them. Here, Paul rejects that kind of thinking by reminding his folks of this ancient Jewish text that says, the life-giving way of God is right there in your precious body where you breathe in and out every few seconds, where you form words, where your fleshy heart is beating. This must also be his way of reminding his Jewish and Gentile siblings that these systems Rome has set up are the least natural thing in the world. These systems designed to get them to outcompete each other for the scraps thrown to them from Rome's table that Rome claims to be quote-unquote justice, those systems go against the wisdom God planted right there in our precious, fleshy, breathing bodies. Because actually, as Rosemarie Freeney Harding puts it in her memoir, Remnants, the fundamental condition of the universe is care and love. That ground of our being, that wisdom of the Torah is in fact not far off, but near, near, near to us. Next, in verses 9 through 13, Paul sets the record straight about how to orient these precious bodies that are teeming with the presence of God so that we can be truly safe. And he does so with what I feel are two big middle fingers up towards Caesar and the Roman Empire. This is where Reverend Anne's fourth signpost from last week was particularly helpful for me. The fact that Rome is slandering and lying all over the damn place. Like, for example, as Reverend Anne told us, when Nero, quote unquote, mercifully allowed the Jews to return to Rome, it wasn't because he thought they were worthy. It was a way to bolster his own status as merciful. Look what I did for these poor people. So unworthy. Look how amazing I am. Slander. In Neil Elliott's book, The Arrogance of Nations, there's this image of a scene molded into a silver cup from first century CE in which the Emperor Augustus is, depicting, is depicted showing mercy to captured barbarians who clutch their children. I don't know, but I imagine one of the wealthier citizens of Rome drinking wine from this chalice at a banquet as they tell themselves, if people would just trust this system we have created, if they'll just give the emperor who set this nice table for us their trust, we can save them from what has them clutching their children for dear life. 
not so different from philanthropists who say they are here to help the people, but really, it's mostly about the tax cuts they're getting for sharing a tiny percentage of the cream off the top of the massive wealth they gained helping create the conditions of their very quote-unquote good causes purport to solve. Slander. Lies, garbage, and more slander. So, we get to this verse I mentioned earlier that says, If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We must understand that to live in ancient Rome was to know that Caesar was demanding that you literally confess him as Lord to stay alive. Because his hope was that you'd start to believe in your heart that he had the power over life and death. And if you just go along with that program, then you'd be saved. I promised you some middle fingers from Paul, and this is it. If you confess with your lips that Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord, Paul is saying, and believe in your heart that God, not Rome's power, raised him from the dead, then you will be truly safe. Paul reminds us once again that we need to be grounded in what is true. And the truth is that Rome lies. Rome never makes good on its promises. The emperors, as Reverend Anne walked us through last week, will turn Rome's violence on you in a second if you do not conform to their ways of domination. What is true in the face of these lies, Paul says, is that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus, the one Rome crucified to make an example of because of how he followed his ancestors in stepping out of the empire's thin blue line, is Lord, and believe in your heart that God said the empire's death machinery never has the last word as Jesus rose from the grave, embracing that reality with your whole being, is what will make you truly safe. And then Paul says in verses 11 through 13, that all, all, all are invited into this grounding in the truth. No one who orients their life in resistance to empire will be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, and that God is truly generous to everyone. Which, by the way, I hear as a sneer at the emperor who likes to make a show of being generous to only the ones who surrender to the empire's programming. And that everyone who calls on this God's name will be saved, safe, made whole. All means all means all. Side note, Paul has made it clear, as Dr. Pam Eisenbaum has written, that there will no longer be strangers and foreigners, but Gentile need not become Jew, nor Jew-Gentile. God created a multiplicity of nations, and a multiplicity of nations God will redeem. God is drawing diverse peoples to herself, 
without homogenizing them. So Paul is not saying Jews and Greeks are the same, but that they are called to resist empire together and worship the same God of love. And here's where the proclamation comes in. These words that sound to me like longing and desire and heartaching in verse 14. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? Paul is playing here with the Greek word akuo, akue, hear, what is heard, recalling the Hebrew shema, signifying obedient hearing. It's another not so subtle reminder that this beckoning, this great divine longing, this love song, as Reverend Ann put it, to come home to the truth of God's love winning over and above Caesar and Rome's violence has been there with God's people all along. In verse 15, after Paul has called all our wild threads back home to the real us, after Paul has assured us that the way of life has always been as close as our beating hearts and warm breath. After Paul has called Rome's promises to keep us safe, utter bullshit. After Paul has regrounded us in a belief that will make us safe and a confession that will outlive Rome's death machinery. After Paul has sung us some more of that love song of longing, Paul quotes Isaiah 52, giving us the answer. How beautiful, Paul sings, are the feet of those who bring good news. And y'all, I gotta read you the entirety of Isaiah 52, verse 7, that Paul is quoting here with some context. This is from the part of Isaiah where a messenger a herald, runs to bring news of deliverance from Babylon, the return of God's reign and the restoration of the land. This messenger is almost out of breath but couldn't come fast enough because the victory has been won over empire. God's people are free and the Babylonian empire didn't win and they are going to get to go home. Here's how the entirety of that verse goes. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your God reigns. Your God reigns reigns. The announcement is not, your God is going to be in charge sometime soon. No, Paul is quoting a foregone conclusion that God has already won. Your God reigns. 
Caesar doesn't reign. Even as you see the propaganda, he has hammered into the silver cups of his opulent banquet table. The lies and slander of Rome do not reign, even as Rome tells you, Jewish siblings, that you're going to get what you deserve, and that the best you can hope for is begging Rome for the scraps of justice from the table. Even as Rome tells you, Gentile believers, that you can get just a little bit more ahead if you'll punch down towards your Jewish comrades to win points with the Roman authorities. No, beloveds. Your God reigns. How will we remember the great love we belong to? How will we keep inviting our people to resist empire with us and follow after the God who has placed in our bodies the wisdom of abundance and joy? We will be that messenger, out of breath with excitement, telling each other over and over and over and over and over again, your God reigns. I wrote this with a small gathering of plants from my garden on my desk. Yellow and pink roses, a wild purple bergamot bloom, and some rosemary, all tucked into a little mason jar, which I gathered on the birthday of a dear one who died by suicide. As I wrote this... I started weeping because I wanted to tell this dear one just one more time, beloved, your God reigns. Not the power of empire who kept lying to you about your worth. Not the legislation that tried to make your body into a crime. Love wins. Your God reigns. <sighs> Even saying that makes me feel split in half. Between the part of me that won't ever be over the rage of an empire-soaked world that lies so many of our beloveds literally to death. And the part of me that feels even more driven and committed broken heart and all, to keep telling my beloveds every damn day the news, the good news, that our God reigns. It doesn't feel very true very often right now. But I don't think it felt very true at the time Paul was writing to those beloveds in Rome. And maybe that is part of the point, that we keep singing this love song to each other, whispering it in the dark, shouting it in the streets with protest signs in our hands, writing it in the text thread, sharing it on the podcast, and retelling it in the thousands of ways we need to be reminded of it over and over again. Rome talks a big game. But as I've heard Reverend Ann say before, these systems don't love us. 
but God has given us, us, each other. And we love us, y'all. It's why we're here. Maybe what is actually needed is for us to look around everywhere we go. Seeing a sign on each person's forehead that says, I am a beloved child of God. A reminder of who our siblings are. A reminder of who we are. A reminder that no matter how much Rome lies to us, we belong to each other. That the fundamental condition of the universe is care and love. And that our God, who is love, reigns. That sounds like the kind of proclamation that can get all of us free. call to action I have for us this week is to find those places in your own communities where Rome's lies are really loud and show up to proclaim the truth. Maybe it's showing up to the government meeting near you to give public comment supporting your siblings who are organizing for their basic rights. Maybe it's heading to cop city vote Dot com to find out how you can support our siblings in Atlanta as they race to get enough signatures this week to put a referendum on the ballot to stop the chopping down of 85 acres of forest for the building of a pretend city for police to train in urban warfare and control tactics. Maybe it's signing up for Surge Faith's two-part training series that's coming up for faith communities of all traditions, in which we'll explore the current context of authoritarianism in the U.S., why faith communities are being targeted, and practical tools and skills your congregation can build and practice together. I'll put the registration link for this in the transcript. Get out there and proclaim Good news that is really and materially good news for all of creation, for all of us. And take some moments along the way to tell yourself that good news too. To put a hand on your heart, to breathe in deeply and say, I am a beloved child of God. Thanks, as always, for joining us. We'd love to hear from you all, especially folks of color and non-Christian folks, by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages, or filling out the survey on our podcast page at surge.org. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you check out our podcast. You can find out more about Surge at Surge.org, where you can sign up for Surge Faith updates and find transcripts for every episode.
which include references, resources, and action links. Next week, we'll have another incredible resistance word from the Reverend Ann Dunlap as the wrestling continues. And finally, a huge thanks, as always, to our sound editor, Claire Hitchens. We appreciate you so much. Again, I'm Reverend Liz Carney, and it is one of the greatest privileges in my life to dream and conspire with you about liberation through this podcast. In days like these, I'm sending you every ounce of my love. Until next time.